out of all of the research that we've conducted, that was the that was the number one reason why a person would stay in an organization is when their manager was not a, not necessarily a leader even, or the manager wasn't the manager or the boss. They were the mentor. And there were five characteristics that we found that allowed a manager or position of title to become that type of a mentor. I've learned so much over this first year of podcasting, and I wanted to share with you guys the 10 most life-changing lessons that I've learned this year. So I created a document, and it's on my website. What you're going to do, you're going to go there. It's going to be 10 life-changing lessons. Click on that button. It'll ask for your email address so I can email it to you. Sign up for it because these life lessons radically changed the way I viewed my life and the way I started living. It helped me to get better in the areas that I've so desperately wanted to see progress and growth in. And because I know they helped me, I really believe that they will help you. And I wanted this to be a gift for you guys. So I really hope you enjoy this gift and go to the website, thewholepersonpodcast.com to get it. It's free. And I hope you guys enjoy and learn as much as I did from it. So excited to have our guest here on the show today. Currently, he just wrote a book called I Love It Here. And you, my friend, your name is Clint. And I want to make sure I don't butcher saying your last name. So I'm going to let you say your last name. Yeah, it's Clint Pulver. Pulver. I thought so. I just wanted to make sure because I didn't want to say, I'm sorry, I messed that up. But but today we're talking to Clint because he is not only through the program of the Maximal Leadership Team, but he is a coach, he is a mentor, he is an author, and he's raising up people to learn how to lead others. And in today's day and age, I thought it would be great to learn how to lead others. And for those of you that for that don't know you, just give us a little bit about who you are and your background. So my name is Clint Pulver, and uh, for the last five years, I have worked as the undercover millennial. It's kind of like undercover boss without the makeup. I would go into organizations as a millennial who was looking for a job. And I would walk into the first place that I saw, and I would walk up to the first person and say, hey, I'm just looking for a gig. I'm looking for you know some work. I thought about, you know, maybe applying. What's it like to work here? And then the employees kind of look around and they tell me everything. The good, the bad. And uh, over this time that I've conducted uh, this study, this research, it's been a, a lot of years. We've worked with 181 organizations and undercover. I've been able to interview over 10,000 employees. And the magic behind the research was when a leader was creating an environment that people never wanted to leave. The magic was when I would go up to an employee and say, what's it like to work here? And they would respond with, I love it here. I love my job. I love what we get to do. I love my manager. I love our culture. And then when that response would trend in an organization, person after person after person, and it was beautiful to see what those leaders were doing to and in the mastermind group, we uh, were in New York City meeting with other CEOs and executives. And one of the gentlemen that we met with owned a sporting goods store. And he talked about how he needed to adapt and change his business. And they needed to uh, just 
adapt, right? They needed to change. And then he thought it was really interesting because he felt the need to change his business style. But then I asked him about his management style and he felt that there was no need to adapt. He said that the way I manage today is the same way I managed 20 years ago and we get results and it works. And we're in his store in New York and I looked around and all of his employees were my age or younger. And I just thought to myself, I said, I wonder if they would say the same thing. I wonder if they would have the same perception that the CEO did. And so we ended the conversation with, with the CEO. We had about 35 minutes to kill until we needed to be to our next place. So I went up to the first employee that I saw and I looked like this. I had a backwards hat on. I had you know just regular clothes. And I, I walked up to one of, the, one of the clerks and I said, what's it like to work here? I'm just curious. And the employee kind of looked around and got quiet, felt like we were doing an illegal drug exchange. <laughs> and the employee said, do you really want to know? And I said, yeah. And he said, I can't, I can't stand it here. I, I mean, I, I literally, I'm so miserable. I, I feel like I'm a cog in the wheel. I'm a number. Like, I, I don't even think my manager knows I'm here right now. And then I asked, well, okay, then, then, then why do you still work here? And he said, oh, I've applied to uh, three other places already. And I thought, okay, well, maybe the guy's just having a bad day. So I went and asked another employee and another and another. And eventually in that 35 minutes, I had interviewed six of his employees. And at the end of those conversations, five out of the six of his staff members said they would not be working for this guy and his store in less than three and a half months. Five out of the six. And the reality of what was happening in the employee experience versus the perception of leadership was completely different. I think, unfortunately, most managers have no idea that they're doing poorly because there's no incentive for an employee to speak. Like, if, if I'm struggling with you as a manager, like, I, why would I come to you and say how much I, it just, there's no incentive. I'm going to get blacklisted. I could get fired. I could be deemed the, the dramatic employee. But so many times a manager will sit down with an employee and say, well, what can I do to, to, to help you? You know, what can I do to, to be a better manager? And what the employee says is, oh, no, you're doing great. It's awesome. No, it's good. It's cool. But what the employee is really thinking is you devalue me. You know, you're, you're constantly criticizing me. You micromanage everything. When we win as a team, you take the credit. When we lose as a team, you blame everybody else. And there really is a disconnect there. And that was the moment that started the Undercover Millennial Program. It was the moment that I, I said, there, there's something here. And uh, that's how the organization started. Mm. You know, it's funny. I was joking with a friend a long time ago that I could write a book on management, having never been in management. And I would call it what not to do because all the experience I've had in my life as an employee was from working for a lot of bad managers. I had over 21 jobs in four years right out of college. And I'm not going to say all that was them. Some of it was me not liking the place, getting fired. And it's funny because I found myself sometimes stuck in a job not wanting to leave, but sometimes maybe self-sabotaging because I didn't want to be there. Yeah. And then sometimes there was just such poor leadership and they would try to walk all over me. And I decided, no, 
I'm going to put my foot down and I am going to stick up for myself. And then I got fired. It was very hard to approach leadership, to have an honest conversation. This is funny. One of, I had a great manager once, but all the leadership under him, like the store manager was amazing. I had so much flavor with him. But the sub-managers under him hated that I had so much favor. And then they were trying to get me fired. Because at the end of the day, even though I wasn't a manager, he would normally uh, side with or go with my decision or thoughts. And I just found myself stuck in this limbo of what can I do? And eventually, I just said, screw this. I'm going to go work for myself because obviously working for other people is not working for me. And so for someone who might not be an entrepreneur yet or might potentially be on that road, what is some of the advice that you would give someone who's stuck in that position? What what advice would you have given me eight or nine years ago? Yeah, I think I think three questions that every employee should ask of their employee is or their employer is, you know, am I am I able to do what I love in this organization? I think passion is is something that needs to be fostered more. And I think a lot of times we, we go into a job because we're looking for the money or we're looking for the benefits. But in reality, if you look at how much time you spend at work, you should be doing something that, that lights your heart on fire in some way, shape or form. Uh, so passion is number one. Number two is, d- does the job uh, allow you to provide, to provide in a way that's sufficient for you? You know, uh, if, if you cannot survive, you might, you might be thriving at work, right? You might have a good time. You might have passion. But if you can't pay your bills, chances are you're not going to work there very long. Right. And then number three is, is purpose. Passion, provide, and purpose. If we can figure out those three things in the workplace, and that purpose side of doing something bigger than yourself, doing something that you feel like, you know what, I, I'm contributing. It's not just a job. We're helping people live a better story. I'm helping people get into a home. I'm helping people stay safe on the road. Whatever it is, you know, to find that purpose in your work and ask yourself, you know, does your job allow you to do those three things most of the time? And if it doesn't, then maybe there's an opportunity for a switch. Maybe it's time to find something that does. And then if you're the manager listening to that, I think it's important to understand that you can create that for your employees. I don't care what the job is, whether it's a janitorial, sweeping up the floors, you're at a tech company designing software, you're you're a doctor in the medical field. All, All industries that involve working with humans have the ability to create meaning, passion, and the ability to provide. And so as a leader, I think we can we can do that. And as employees, it's important to seek that out in our jobs. You know, I really like what you're saying. In so many areas in my past, there's one guy in specific I have in mind where, you know, he would go to the the head manager, the head store manager would give one of the managers a task. And then this guy's idea of managing was then to go delegate that task to someone else. So I ran my own department in the hardware store and I, I ran hardware. And so what this guy would do is he would go volunteer for projects and then go delegate to other people. And so he should try to make himself look good. Meanwhile, he's taking me from the work that I'm supposed to be doing to put me on stuff that he volunteered to do. And then he gets credit for the work that I did. And then I get slapped because the work that I was supposed to do didn't get done. 
But if I didn't do what he did, I would get in trouble. And so he was using me as a way to promote himself. And throughout the entirety of my work, I never felt like I had a mentor in a place of work. I never felt like I had a leader who's like, hey, let me show you how to do this. Let me coach you and train you. I've had mentors in life that have helped me drastically, but I've never had a mentor in the work that I do until I've gotten enrolled today. What would it look like for someone to have like a mentor manager at work? Yeah, it's so powerful. Out of all of the research that we've conducted, that was the, that was the number one reason why a person would stay in an organization is when their manager was not, a, not necessarily a leader even, or the manager wasn't the manager or the boss, they were the mentor. And there were five characteristics that we found that allowed a manager or a position of title to become that type of a mentor. If you look at you know, any, any, any great story, Evan, uh, a great movie, you always have the hero of the story, right? And they're trying to do this difficult thing, whether it's uh, you know, climb a mountain, win a game, uh, go through a difficult trial. And then who shows up? Every time in a great story, you always have the mentor that appears. Like Luke Skywalker had Obi-Wan Kenobi, right? Uh, Gandalf, Frodo. Yeah, Frodo and Gandalf. Uh, Simba had Mufasa. Katniss Everdeen, she had Hamish. Rocky, I love Rocky. Rocky had Mick, right? These great mentors. But they become mentors because of who they are. Mentorship is not a title. It can only be earned. And I go to a mentor. I seek out a mentor because of who they are. So mentor is a character within a person. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the, there's five characteristics that build up that character. So tell number me. one, they have to have confidence. Confidence. Like I don't want to li- learn from someone and trust somebody or follow somebody that's not confident in who they are. And they're not confident in their ability to help me get where I want to go. Number two is credibility. I want to know your credibility. What's your background? You know, if I'm going to mentor with you in real estate, how many houses have you sold? How long have you been doing real estate? Credibility matters. The third piece is competence. You might know everything about selling houses, the process, but can you actually get in and make that happen? Do you have the ability to to build relations? Can you actually do the thing that you're teaching people to do? I'm a drummer, a professional drummer. I've been a drummer for a long time. And I don't want to study with a musician who just knows everything about music theory. No, I want to, I want to study with someone who can play, someone who is a practitioner. Competence matters. And then the, the third piece is candor. Sorry, that's the fourth piece. Candor, 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 candor. The ability to have honest conversations. Mentors create relationships so strong that honesty can exist. I want to mentor with somebody who's going to speak the truth, who's going to give it to me straight, someone that's not going to give me fluff. If I'm messing up, they're going to tell me I need to do better, but it's coming from a place of care, and that is the last C, care. Great mentors truly care about the individuals that they're mentoring, and the mentee feels that. You have my best interest at heart. You're not just some guru that's trying to sell me some course. You really care about me as an individual. So those five C's, When a manager, a leader possessed those things, confidence, credibility, competence, candor, and the ability to care, the loyalty that they were able to yield from people was unbelievable. If I 
if I read stuff correctly, are you on the John Maxwell leadership certificate coaching program that you went through? I, I'm not. No, I, I'm not. John is just a great friend, and John and I have spoken on stages together. Uh, John endorsed the, the new book that's coming out, um, but I haven't actually gone that's through his his program. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So, yeah, I, I saw his endorsement stuff. Oftentimes, that looks like people's leadership tag as well. So I got those confused. John has a really unique leadership pyramid. Now you take the number from one to 10, 10 being the highest. And it looks like a pyramid where ones are on one level, twos are on the second level, threes. And what ends up happening is it's the leadership mentor pyramid where twos can mentor ones, but twos can't mentor fives. Fives can mentors, you know, fours, threes, twos, and ones, but not six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10. And so I feel like there's this yin and yang where not only can you learn to be a good mentor, but you also to be a mentor. What are some of the characteristics for me as an individual to be a good mentor? Because you listed five to be a great, uh, a great mentor. I, let me phrase it. I said mentor. What are the good characteristics for me to be a good mentor? Yeah, I think I think one is is being willing to learn, right? Being willing to to be teachable. Here's the thing. If you want to eventually be a great mentor yourself, then you've got to be a mentor. You've got to have a mentor. Sorry. Great mentors were always being mentored. So do you have a coach? Do you have someone that you're, you're, you're working with, someone that you're leaning on, someone that you're learning from on a consistent basis? This is not just, you know, what are you reading? Or, you know, do you read some blog posts? Who do you follow on Instagram? That's, that's, a, that's a little bit of mentoring, but that's not true mentorship in its, in its holist form. And so I would ask those people is, again, first off, do you have a coach? How, how do you expect to be taught by somebody if you're not coaching with anybody? If you're not really grading, earning those relationships, earning that opportunity to learn from people. I think we should do whatever it takes to associate with astonishing people doing and living the life that we want to live. I remember when I, when I got into the speaking world, there was a guy that I wanted to meet really bad. His name was Mark Scherenbrock. And I, I had my job, my day job, I jumped into this world of professional speaking. And he was the guy. He was the guy that I wanted to learn from. And I think too, that we have to be willing to earn it, be willing to earn it. And I, I bought a plane ticket with, with the last little few pennies that I had. And I flew to this event and I walked up to him and he was there in the hallway at this convention. And I tapped him on the shoulder and I said, Mark, my name is Clint Pulver. You have no idea who I am. I just quit my job and I really want to learn from you. I, 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 you're, you're, you're the, you're the person that I flew thousands of miles to meet. Do you have any time during this event? And I'll never forget. He looked at his watch and he said, let's do it right now. And we went and we sat at the table in the conference hallway for 45 minutes. And he just poured into me. He just gave, he coached, he mentored, he, he helped me. He had the credibility. He had the confidence, the confidence, but he cared. He really cared about me. And, and what he gave me was honest and it was truthful and it was so helpful. But here's, here's the piece of advice I would give is, is gratitude will always win in this situation. I was so grateful for Mark and what he did for me. I, I wrote a little handwritten thank you card. And all I could afford at the time was a $25 gift card to Jamba Juice. And I put the gift card in, in, the, in the card and I mailed it off to him. He wrote me back and he said, Clint, out of 20 years of being a professional speaker, you are the first one that has ever taken the time to write me a handwritten note saying thank you. And he said, anytime you need anything, 
you let me know. This is a guy that charges thousands and thousands of dollars to coach with, thousands of dollars to work with. I've never paid a dime. I paid 25 bucks for a Jamba Juice gift card. But my point is, is stay in rookie mode and be grateful. If somebody gives you their time, thank them. Thank them. It's such a simple thing, but it goes a long way in, in building a relationship that, of mentorship that can actually last. That's awesome. You know, when I'm thinking about your story, there's these moments in people's lives that when, when you reflect back, it was a pivotal moment. I, I like to call them altar moments where in, in biblical times in the Old Testament, when the Israelites went through some major horrific event or, or came through something so difficult, they would build an altar. And it wasn't just an altar for animal sacrifice to worship God, but it was also a statue of remembrance. It was a pillar of what had happened so that they could look back in history and say, at this place, at this time, God showed up. And I think we have these moments in our lives that we can create and look back at, hey, at this place, in this time, this person showed up in my life. And that helps us to move forward and be there for other people. So that sounds like it was a significant place. How, how would future leaders, let's, let's take me for example. And how could I create a significant moment for someone else? Yeah. I think one of the greatest ways that we can do that is we communicate a person's potential and their worth. Two things, two things that great leaders did consistently that was always beautiful to see, not just in the workplace, but in life. They communicated an opportunity to become something more. And they also communicated that who you are is enough. I, I was a kid in school that I had a hard time sitting still. I would always move. My right hand would, would, would twitch. My left hand would twitch. I would, just, I would tap. I still have a hard time sitting still. And everybody saw it as a problem. I was called the twitcher. A lot of kids called me the tapper. And everybody saw this issue, but there was one person in my life and his name was Mr. Jensen. And he was my fifth grade teacher. And he looked at me as I was in his class and he, I was tapping and he said, young man, he said, you in the back. He said, come here, come here. Uh, I want to talk to you. And the bell rang, class dismissed, everybody leaves. And everyone's like, oh, he's in trouble. Yeah, totally. I, w I did. I thought I was going to get kicked out of school as a 10-year-old. And uh, he sat me down and he said, listen, I watch you. And I, I know you're the kid that's on the list. Everybody sees the problem. But you you'll start moving your right hand and then you can write with your left hand. And then you'll switch. And you start writing with your right hand. And you can tap with your left hand. He, he said, Clint, I think you're ambidextrous. And I was like, no, I'm Presbyterian. He goes, no, that's not what it means. <laughs> that's not, that's, no, that's not what it means. He said, can you tap your head and rub your belly? I said, yeah. I said, I could do that. And he said, now, can you switch it? He said, then can you rub your head and then tap your belly and then tap your belly, belly and rub your head? And literally, with, without thinking about it, Evan, I could do it. And he leaned back in his chair and he smiled and he said, man, I said, I knew it. And he said, I don't think you're a problem, Clint. I just think you're a drummer. Sometimes people hear that and they go, what's the difference between those two things? <laughs> in some I don't think you're a problem. I just think you're a drummer. The point is, dude, this was a moment. I believe in moments. Great leaders create moments. That that's what we remember. Employees don't remember days. They remember moments that leaders create in their lives. 
And in this moment, Mr. Jensen, he leaned back in his desk, he opened up the top drawer, and he reached inside and he took out my very first pair of drumsticks. My very first pair. And he said, Clint, dude, these are yours. And I want to give them to you, but I want you to just keep them in your hands. Keep them in your hands as much as you can. And that was 22 years ago. And I can stand here and sit here today and, and say, you know, honestly, that 22 years ago, literally to this exact day, I have tried my best to keep my promise to Mr. Jensen. And for 22 years, man, I've had the opportunity to tour and record all over the world playing drums. I've been on America's Got Talent. I, I went to college. I had no idea what I wanted to study. I graduated in 2012 with zero college debt because of music scholarships, baby. And I'm not saying all that to go, wow, good for you, or what a list of accolades. I, I tell that story because one caring leader created a moment that helped me live a better story. And he did that by communicating my potential and my worth. And he did it. He did it so well that I saw it within myself. And I said, I like myself best because of you. Mm -hmm. He became a mentor. He designed a moment that represented possibility. And game over. It's, it's amazing the influence that, that can happen from that. You know, I hear when I look at your story and I'm, I'm picturing, you said you were 10, year, 10 years old? You were 10 years old. 10-year-old Clint. This boy who's fidgety. The boy that's on the list of a problem for all the teachers. The kid who might be a little socially awkward and kids make fun of and might not befriend. I'm seeing this little boy and I'm, I'm feeling his pain of sitting in the back because that's the only place he feels comfortable sitting. And when I'm staring at this little boy and my heart just goes out to him and all I can see is this boy just wishing someone would recognize him. And that's exactly what happened. Someone recognized your potential. Someone recognized beyond what everyone else saw and saw your true self, your true heart, your true gifts. How do I become the person that can recognize that in other people? I think you look for the opportunities. You don't look for the problems. We have too many people in this world that all they see is the negative. Right? They, they scroll on social media, you watch the news for five minutes. All you see is, is, the, is the problems, is the bad. But the people that choose to see the good, right? Even though it's a difficult situation, I'm not saying your head should be in the cloud and you're not real, but you're optimistic. And you choose to see what's right in a situation. And it takes time. It takes practice. It takes associating with other people that, that can do the same. Right? You, put, you put a sick child in the room with a, another sick child, you're, you're going to end up with two sick children. Right? Who are you hanging with? Who are you associating with? And when we put ourselves around like-minded people that are seeing the good, that improves and increases the opportunity for you to see that as well. Mm. When I think about what you just said and this little, little boy, I also see that he wanted recognition. He wanted to be and when that happened, I'm sure it felt really, really well. What are some of the ways that people want to be recognized from your 
Yeah, so in our research, in, in what we found, the number one thing that people wanted the most of was vocal praise. Vocal praise was number one. And the crazy thing is that costs zero dollars for a company to provide that for people. Like I'm talking about the the data boys and data girl and good job. I appreciate it. So I really appreciated you know the, the work that you, you you're doing and you're coming in early. Like like those types of things. It's little, but it matters. Vocal praise is number one. Second, uh, a lot of employees talked about experiences. Like we we went we went axe throwing as a team. It was so rad. You know, uh, my manager knows I love theater and hooked me and my wife up with some some movie tickets uh, or, or to a, a show, a play. Uh, obviously, experiences are a little bit harder to do right now because of COVID. Uh, but at the time when we did the research, experiences matter. Time and flexibility, time off, flex time, the ability to, to you know, get a day off because of what you've done. Uh, your work ethic, you know, take Fridays off. Uh, you know, the ability to, to, to get out early at 430 because you want to go and be home with your kids. Uh, that ability, that, that's a great way to recognize people is to give them flexibility and time. Uh, the fourth part was pay. Money matters. Like an Amazon gift card, right? A little bonus in the salary, uh, a little raise, a little, hey, like you hit this sales quota this month, we're giving you an extra 500 bucks, man, just because we, we appreciate it, right? Money matters. Uh, food was another one. Like Taco Tuesdays, little Chick-fil-A on Fridays, you know, bringing food into the office. Uh, yeah, yeah, that was a great way to recognize people for the good that they did. And then the last one I, I called trophy and awards. Like think a letter, uh, a, a plaque. You got the rookie of the year award. Those things matter to people and uh, people cherish that. You're right. So I, I was also a lot like you where... I just, I wasn't popular. People didn't like me. It was very difficult to make friends. And and I wanted a Lebanon jacket because I felt like that might make me cool enough to have friends. And I knew I wasn't, I was good at sports. I wasn't great. So I could really never make varsity. So I tried out for the swim team. Let me phrase this. I was allowed to be on the swim team because no one wanted to be on it. We had like a team of five guys. So instantaneously, I was varsity. Instantaneously, I could have a Lebanon jacket. But at the end of the year, my coach didn't give me a letter. He just told me I didn't do good enough to get it. I was a little, you know, I wasn't great at swimming. That hurt. So then I went out for it again the next year, <laughs> and he gave me one. Uh, but let me ask you, before we end this conversation, I have three questions that I like to ask everyone at the end of the show. It's the same three questions. And sometimes it's to help humanize our, our guest. In terms of negative self-talk, what do you currently struggle with and how are you overcoming it? Yeah, constantly living in tomorrow, I would say, is a, is a big uh, a big thing I'm always trying to work on. If you live in tomorrow, you're going to have a lot of forgetful yesterdays. So trying to just be in the moment a little bit more and to not always be looking at, okay, what's on the schedule tomorrow is something I'm trying to, to get better at. What brings you peace? Uh, my relationship with God. Awesome. What, why, why does that bring you peace? Uh, there's nothing more fulfilling in my life than putting my head down on my pillow at night, staring at the ceiling and knowing that I'm right with God. Mm -hmm. And if I'm not, then I don't have peace. And so 
what brings the greatest sense of peace is knowing that I'm right with God. And that's, that's being the best for my family. It's being the best for others. That's uh, striving to make sure that I'm, 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 I'm doing good. I'm, I'm, I'm being in, in I'm having integrity. I'm being honest. I'm, I'm striving to be kind. I'm, I'm striving to compliment. I'm striving to reach out to people that I don't, yeah, all the things, all the, there's so, there's so much to that, but if someone didn't feel like they were right with God, cause I, I run into people like, ah, God, God wouldn't want me. If someone doesn't feel like they're right with God or God doesn't want them, what, what would be your, your advice? Yeah. Obviously that's, that's, I would say that's the adversary. I would say that's the other side that's talking. God always wants you. Now there's certain ways that we can qualify and, and, and reach out and connect and come closer to God. And I love the movie, the red fern grows. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie, but cried, of course. Yeah. Right. He just, the kid wants two coon hounds. He just wants two, two dogs to go hunting with. Yeah, 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 man. Preach it. He's a, and then he's got this grandpa that, that really is a mentor in the story. And I'll never forget the 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 line where he said, you know, because he's complaining. He's like, God, God doesn't want me to have these dogs. And the grandpa said, Have you met God halfway? You gotta meet you, you gotta meet God halfway. And you know, sometimes it's easy to sit back and we stand in front of the fireplace and we say, Give me heat, then I'll give you wood. And I've always remembered with, with my relationship with God is, is to make sure I'm putting, putting wood on the fire. I'm meeting God halfway. And uh, that's helped me a lot. The next question is, what's the best decision you've ever made? It can't be God and it can't be your wife. And then, then the third option would be uh, to have children. Hands down. Yeah. My two little baby girls. My, my two daughters, Lyndon, yeah, sweetest things in, in my life besides God and my wife. That's awesome. Man, where, where can people follow you? Obviously, they can find you here on this amazing new app called Fireside. Um, outside of Fireside, what are some of your other handles and platforms and where can they buy your book called I Love It? Yeah, it's available right now for pre-order on Amazon and uh, Barnes & Noble. Anywhere you can buy books uh, and then connect with me at clintpulver.com. That's my website. And then I also, I love Instagram. So hit me up on Instagram and uh, uh, listen, Evan, I appreciate you, man. I appreciate your support and, and inviting me and allowing me to speak to your audience. I appreciate it a lot. Perfect. Man. Well, thank you so much for coming on to the show and I uh, hope you have an amazing day. I love it. Thank you. Take care. When I started this podcast, it was important for me to lead by example, that I wouldn't hide behind a fake mask acting like I've arrived and speaking from the mountaintop. My whole purpose was to be vulnerable about where I was, my failures, my struggles, and my successes, so that I could be a bridge, that I could be a gap in this process of showing people how to change in the areas of faith, family, finances, friendship, fitness, and fun, because that's exactly where I'm at and what I'm doing. And I had a coach years ago, and he was the first coach I've ever had. And he did it for a very affordable rate because I couldn't afford anything more than what he offered me. But he told me this, Evan, someday you're going to get in a spot where you're going to be able to give back to others. And I want you to remember what I'm doing for you here and now that it's made affordable so that you can actually go through it. He goes, I believe in you and I trust that you'll do this. And so because of that, it resonated within me 
at a certain point when I felt I've had enough hard knocks that I had something to offer other people, I would start a coaching program. And this is that. I am now starting a coaching program and I'm going to make it affordable because by the graces of someone else that helped me out when I was first starting my journey, I wanted to do the same for other people. So I'm going to offer a free 15-minute coaching phone call to anyone that wants it. You can go to the website, thewholepersonpodcast.com and sign up for that free coaching phone call. And if you're looking to have a longer extended coaching relationship outside of that first 15-minute phone call, I have the prices right up front. I'm open about it. And I'd be more than happy to see if we'd work well with one another and can help you reach and achieve the goals that you have in life. Guys, thank you so much. I hope you enjoy the show.